Welcome to the 44th episode of the Known Pleasures podcast. Here we dissect and disseminate ancient wisdoms from our post-punk and new wave history for your entertainment. In the description, you will find a link to a playlist as well as a link to our featured band's website if you wish to listen or indeed purchase the fine music featured within. You will also see a link to our Facebook page, our Instagram page, and our Twitter handle, and also our brand spanking new YouTube channel. Feel free to like and subscribe, yada yada. And now, I'd like to pass the mic to Mark to introduce today's band. Born of the fallout from two of post-punk's best, Shriekback had no right to be any good because, well, so-called supergroups rarely are. But Shriekback were better than good. At their best, they were simply majestic, riding a wave of ideas and inspiration that left other 80s pretenders flailing in their wake. Taking a kind of mutant tribal funk as their starting point, Barry Andrews, Dave Allen and Carl Marsh recorded an EP and three albums from 1982 to 85, but still stand up today and showed that the post-punk path could be dark, uncomfortable and still danceable. In this episode, we attempt to hook, then land the fish below the ice that is Shriekback. So. That's an excellent anacrusis, Mark. Excuse me? What? Patrick's already come up with a word that we don't know. He's taking the Barry Andrews mantle here, <laughs> throwing in words no one understands. That's from a Shriekback song, isn't it? Anacrusis, the main event remains. I think Anacrusis was the producer of the first album. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I've never heard of it before. Yeah, yeah. Well the done, uh, drummer, Anna One, Anna Two. <laughs> <laughs> okay, before this descends into complete chaos. That's the sort of gag I would do. <laughs> yeah, it's not that bad. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, Anacrusis, um, Faded Flowers, is it? Yep. Um, it means a kind of intro, and in musical terms it's like the unstressed bit before the one of the first bar. So oh, really? The, I should know this. The happy of happy birthday. Happy birth oh, okay. on the one. So the happy is that is the anacrusis. Wouldn't it be two? Because it's two syllables. Don't go messing <laughs> with my mind there. But yeah, I mean, I think we can agree, and we'll, we might talk about this a bit later on about how shriekback are excellent for your vocabulary, mm. if not for wordle. They're useless mm. for wordle, but they're excellent <laughs> for your vocabulary. So, so where were we? Shriekback. Formed in 1981 from the, uh, well, I won't say the ashes of XTC and Gang of Four because both of those bands continued. <laughs> they went from strength to strength. They actually yeah, got yeah, better, yeah. bigger and better. But, yeah, they did. But um, Barry Andrews was um, keyboard player and sometimes vocalist on XTC's two first albums, Graham, is that mm-hmm. right? That's right, yeah. Or first two, whichever way. He had two songs on the second album, which he sang. He's from Swindon. Hmm. Uh, Dave Allen was the bassist in Gang of Four on their first two albums as hmm. well. Carl Marsh was in a band I'd never heard of called Out on Blue Six, played guitars and vocals. Interesting, the story about how he came to join the band. Barry and Dave were wanting to work together after they'd left their respective bands and Carl sent a letter <laughs> <laughs> to Dave, I think, and said, I'm your man, or Barry, and said, I'm your man, you know, yeah, this is what yeah. you need, let me in. I don't know how old he is. He might be a bit younger than the other yeah, two guys other side, because yeah, uh, yeah. Barry's born in 56, Dave in 55, yeah. so I'm wondering whether that's something to do with yeah. it. According to Barry, yeah, Carl wrote him a letter to say literally, I'm your man, I'm the hip young gunslinger you need on guitar. <laughs> and as Barry continued to say, 
and I quote, It was, as it would be with Carl, an extremely articulate, persuasive letter. So Dave said, yeah, you're in. So, Graham, what were the two XTC albums that Barry Andrews played on? Because you're our resident <laughs> XTC expert. <laughs> mm. Yes, I teach a class. <laughs> um, the first album was called White Music. The second album, Go To, and he had two songs. He managed to finagle two songs onto that second album. And uh, I think that was the source of his frustration. I think we said this on our XTC podcast. He didn't want to be the George Harrison of XTC. Um, they already had two great songwriters. Uh-huh. And it was difficult for him to get his songs on. But interestingly, I think if Barry left XTC because they weren't giving his songs a go... When I listen to Shriek back, I don't think any of their songs would have sat well within the XTC songbook. Mm. You know, mm. it, 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 so I don't know whether he left and then changed his songwriting style. <laughs> well, he left uh, XTC in 1980? No, because uh, I, saw, I saw them in 79 ah. and uh, Dave Gregory was, was with them then. Okay. Mm. I've got that he's probably got about 18 months to two years before forming Shriekback. Mm. So there was a fair amount of kicking around between the two projects. And he was quite busy. He was busy. Um, Have you got his CV there? I've got a few things that he did. I like the band that he formed called Restaurant for Dogs. It's it's probably an unlikely name for a a band to be successful with, Mm, but but it's a great name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was a bit of a jobbing musician as well. He played, most interestingly, with Robert Fripp's League of Gentlemen. (laughs) Who also had Sarah Lee of uh, Gang of Four fame ahead of her on bass. I really like Robert Fripp. I really like King Crimson's later stuff. So this stuff I found really interesting, but... Mm. Barry's keyboards, yes, yeah, sort of kind of adds to it, but I don't know. It's Robert Fripp's vehicle, I suppose. Mm. But there was an album recorded and a tour done, I think. I don't know what Dave Allen was doing now. I, no, Dave mm. Allen played on, there were three fantastic Gang of Four albums, in my opinion, and he played on two of them yeah. uh, Entertainment and um, Solid Gold. And also relating to Barry, he played on Iggy Pop's Soldier. Oh, that's right, 1980s album, and, album and I Soldier. co-wrote the song "I Snub You." One, two, three, four. So really? he was in demand. In demand, but it wasn't enough for him. No. 1981, he wanted his own group, and here we are. And what happened next? <laughs> and what happened next? Well, yeah. I was just wanting to talk about the first time that I came across Shriek back and ask you guys for your take on that. I have a memory, and of course as I'm ageing, my memory's getting worse, mm. but I have a memory of seeing them on a television show here called Rock Arena, which was an 80s television show that used to play a bit of alternative uh, music. And I remember seeing a song called Despite Dense Weed played live, and it was I've subsequently found that it was performed at the Riverside Studios at uh, November in 1982. And what struck me about it was there was about 25 people on stage banging sticks on the ground and (laughs) kind of leaping around in a kind of a weird tribal kind of vibe. And the song was just like this groove. And uh, I'd never kind of heard or seen anything like it. And I I remember it so well that I had to go back and search for it. Uh, Apparently they also did a version of My Spine is the Baseline, uh, which was, I believe, the first single on that performance. Graham, do you remember seeing that? Yeah, that was the first time I saw them as well, with people down on their haunches hitting mm. sticks on this frame, I think it was. in, in the Yeah, there, it was these long sticks and it was, if you will play a bit of the song and it's a really unusual kind of song. Yeah. It was definitely a kind of a tribal vibe and a rhythmic thing. Yeah. 
uh, very groovy and kind of dancey and kind of a bit weird and scary at the same time. Yeah. It reminded me of, of Hunters and Collectors, uh, World of Stone and maybe Nick the Stripper or something like that. The birthday parties mm. seemed to be going down a similar kind of It was the style alleyway. at the time mm. to get kind of tribal. This is a great quote from Karl Marsh about the track Despite Dense Weed. He said, It's a track that sounds like it's prowling through a mangrove swamp and unlike anything else around at the time. We played this on TV with everyone huddled on the floor, sticks clattering like an anxious committee meeting in the rainforest. And I thought that's exactly <laughs> what I was trying to say when I saw it. It's perfect. I was immediately uh, interested, is what I was going to say. In it. Yeah. It kind of really grabbed me. And then I would have heard My Spine is the Baseline, which um, came out September in, in 82, yeah. probably on Brisbane's Triple. Zed? Yeah, Triple Z yep. would have played would it. Would you have heard that song, Patrick, at the time? Indeed, yeah. Uh, what you're saying about the Rock Arena Shriekback songs, I hadn't thought that I'd heard them, but it is kind of ringing a bell. So, yeah, I was I was immediately really interested and, and loved My Spine. I thought that was a fantastic yeah, yeah, song. Yeah. got played a lot on the radio. I probably came across Care before Tench, but um, once the first EP, Tench, came onto my radar, which was released in 82, I probably heard it the next year, I was hooked. Mm. I was a Shriekback fan, mm. big time. So should we talk Tench? We should talk Tench. It's sometimes, as you pointed out, Patrick, being called an album, but it's a six-track EP, and that qualifies as an EP mm. as far as I'm concerned. 25 minutes-ish. Yeah, know. yeah. Really kind of dense, heavy grooves, this kind of high-low vocal uh, that Gang of Force sometimes utilised. Yep. Um, big Lindrum sound. To yeah. me, there's nothing bad on his sex. Mm. Think one was the single, I think, but... Uh, accretions and moth loop really grabbed me as well. Graham, you you would have heard this. Yes, I was going to say if there was a, a template to writing a Shriek back song, it would be the feature of the repetitive chant, mm. which they did a lot, like even up to Oil and Gold. And it was a device they used like all the time. Sometimes it was the main hook of the song was just a, a repetitive chant, but it was always very hooky. Mm. Moth loop. I thought that was the introduction of the repetitive chant. We said, and it's better for you. It's not so clever for me. You're running rings around me all of the time. Mm. With that mm. going over and over and over, it, it actually sort of drags you in. It's quite a quite a neat little hook. And it's better for you. It's not so clever for me. You're running rings around me all of the time. And it's better for you. It's not so clever for me. You're running rings around me all of the time. And another thing I was going to mention was that the yeah, as you said, the Lindrum machine. Like uh, bands like Hunters and Collectors and the Birthday Party weren't they were using real drums, mm. but uh, they they embraced technology as as well as the whole yeah, yeah, organic yeah. tribal thing. Yeah. Well, they were kind of trying to make dance music, to me anyway, but a kind of a mutant, as I said, kind of weird dance music. But it was interesting that Dave Allen's bass playing was a little bit different to what he'd been doing in Gang of Four. It was a bit more in the background, maybe not as, maybe he wasn't using his pick as much, not as, as up front, but it was really seductive and really kind of, mm. I don't know, really grabbed me. I think it's a really big, important part of their sound, certainly early on, probably all the way through the, the band's life. But uh, that mm. really grabbed me. So I loved him in Gang of Force. I was kind of right on board with this. Yeah. Did well, you hear a, any of this, Patty? Yeah. Well, it's a pretty crazy record at times. A kind of fascination. Mm. Uh, here comes my hand clap. They're very strange songs. And you were talking about the 
bands who were similar to a Shriekback, but they do seem like they kind of sprang from nowhere to me because they certainly don't sound like XTC. They certainly <laughs> no. don't sound like Gang of Four. They, to me, don't sound like anything else. And I love the fact that they recorded this EP at a studio in Denmark Street, which was like the kind of heart in Soho in London, oh, the yes. kind of heart of like the music recording industry for decades. Mm. So everyone from Vera Lynn to Jimi Hendrix had recorded, you know, on this this tiny street. For Shriekback to be just, it's like they're not being influenced by the history of Denmark Street <laughs> when they're laying down, here comes my hand clap. I love Moth Loop. That's probably my, my favourite song on it, but it's just so peculiar and just this is a word that, that I think will come up mm. a bit or, or the idea just kind of unique, mm. really. So, yeah, it was, it was a fantastic kind of starting point for them. Tell me, is the song pronounced Sex Think One or Sex Thin Cone? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it would have to be the German spelling of cone, mm. okay. Okay. which okay. it could be. I did think, actually, in terms of influences, that the song... All the Greek boys to do the hand walk. Do the hand I don't know where to start with that song, title, but yeah, all the Greek boys do the hand walk. It did have a bit of a rock on by David Essex kind of vibe. Mm. Yes. I was trying to I was trying to figure <laughs> that out and you've nailed it. I should have gone to you for any David right, Essex yeah, yeah, references yeah. you would know. Oh, yeah, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm big on early 70s David Essex David Essex stuff. <laughs> Is that it for... for well, I, I just wanted to say that I thought this was really groundbreaking and I was kind of pretty much a, a fanatic from this point on. It did get them a lot of attention along with the single My Spine is the Baseline. Strangely, they released another single called Working on the Ground. which kind of seemed a bit pointless because it didn't really appear anywhere else and it it Mm. wasn't that great. I'm not quite sure why they did that because the real kind of attention came with the next album, uh, sorry, the first album, Care, which came out in 83, which, uh, if we're happy to talk about that now, Mm. featured the single All Lined Up, which did have a video, and it actually got to number 39 in Australia, which I find amazing. I know it was around at the time and I I heard it a lot. Kirsty McColl did backing vocals, Graham, wasn't (laughs) it? Wasn't she one yeah. of your faves? Did she work with Elvis Costello? She worked with a lot of people. She, she did a solo career too, didn't she? She married... Um, Steve Lillywhite. Steve Lillywhite, yeah. Yes. Well, that's a way to get your stuff produced. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> she knew what she was doing. She knew what she was doing. This album, I think, was probably on a lot of people's radar. Yeah, Because yeah, they yeah. were kind of the thing at the time. I was going to say there was a bit of an influence of Remain in Light and, and Talking Heads yeah, yeah. in that stuff. Did you guys... Get across this. They were very much not a song band, and Care is almost like film soundtrack music in a way. It's probably my favourite of the albums. I love this album. Okay. It does feature the obligatory one shouty track per Shriekback mm. album. So there's always one that kind of drives me off the wall. There's, there's <laughs> always one, and then there's also a, a quiety, atmospheric one. Yeah, 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 that's right. It's very much about grooves. It's very much about the sparse production. What's your favourite tracks on it? All Lined Up, I think, is fantastic. I think Papax Legomenon. was a bit cold. <laughs> bit of Latin for you. Did you like that, did you? Yeah, yeah. It is quite creepy. The vocals Mm. are 
sort of quite alarming, actually. Yeah. Um, like psychosis, kind of. <laughs> yes, the, the unsettling laugh at the end. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so Lines from the Library is the uh, shouty one, but Brink of Collapse, I think, is great. And What a great song title. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and from beginning to end and, you know, starting with All Lined Up is, yeah, it was one of my favourite songs of the year. Mm. It's absolutely irresistible. And the fact that I think globally number 39 in Australia was just about <laughs> as big as that song was. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's how, surprising. How, how is that not like top 10 or top 20 in the UK, for instance? Yeah, I was surprised at how well it did in Australia. Mm. I loved Lined Up. I actually recorded my own version about 15 years ago. And um, I just remember the lyrics were great to sing. Like, yeah. uh, What's ref- the song about? I have no <laughs> idea what it's about. My favourite <laughs> lyric is refined to one shape, frozen like crystal. It has a symmetry of perfect design. I don't know why, but it's a great line to sing. Yeah, the song's yeah. in G minor, so the melody doesn't stray far from the G note. So what did the song mean to you while you were singing it, Graham? It meant that... What were you uh, feeling? I was feeling lined up, basically. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I honestly up. have no idea <laughs> what the song is about, but uh, whatever those great lyrics mean, mm. it's just a great song to sing. In general, I love the fact that our last full podcast was um, Elvis Costello, who's mm. very much a storyteller, and Shriekback are the opposite of storytellers. <laughs> complete opposite. They're so impressionistic and abstract and peculiar and funny. This might be something that you both knew that I didn't really know, but... Having two vocalists who presumably write their own lyrics as well a lot of the time, it may have something to do with it. So Barry Andrews obviously is the main vocalist these days, but Carl Marsh sang a lot of the early stuff and sang a lot of their hits Mm. and obviously wrote the lyrics. I could never really tell their vocals apart. No. I did not know. I always assumed that it was Barry Andrews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't realise that Carl sang as much as he did. Yeah, yeah. And then when I went back and watched the video for um, My Spine is the Baseline, Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) That's him. He's singing. Yeah, yeah. I I never knew that. So that's embarrassing to my eternal shame. I just want to add too before we leave care. I haven't said anything yet. Um, Okay. No, I'll pass to you in a minute. But I just wanted to say that I really love Shriekback's quieter, moodier songs. And this will spring up again and again on the next two albums. Like Sway and Evaporation. When they do those quieter, introspective songs, even though I love the whole tribal, chanty vibe of the band, when he does a, a quieter, moody yeah, song, yeah, I yeah. really love it. And, and, yeah. and each album has a great example of that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. In regards to Brink of Collapse, I just wanted to say that this was a song that almost had a chorus with that uh, I'm almost there, I'm almost ready part. They don't normally do that kind of melody in a song, and I think that was probably the first moment where a really nice, uh, almost pop song melody popped up in one of their songs. Yeah. Mark, over to you. I'm going to break with tradition and disagree with you guys. I think Care's great, but I think it's patchy. I really love Lined Up. I love Sway, Intermethod, Evaporation. But, yeah, I kind of feel like it's unfinished and maybe there's a few ideas that aren't realised. I think it's really interesting on the final track, In Amongst, which is basically the sound of an Aboriginal bull roarer 
if you know what one of those wow. is. I thought it was one of those whirly tubes. That, well, it's I had but, one of these, mm. and it's not cultural appropriation because <laughs> I don't know where I got it from. But it's a, it's a thing that the Aboriginals <laughs> or Indigenous Australians used to use. As, um, right, right. I'm not quite sure what the purpose of it was, but it's that sound of that, and it's on a string, and you kind of ah. wave it around in your hand, and it makes that weird whistling kind of whooshing mm. noise. Mm. And I, I don't know how on earth they got their hands on one of these. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, but it's, it's an interesting way to end the album. What I love about that song is that it's attributed to three songwriters. <laughs> <laughs> so I can just imagine maybe two of them putting their name to the song mm. and then Carl Marsh came along and said, you hear that whirl there? That's me. That's I, me. I, maybe I did, they had three and they were each whirling yeah. them because it does no, sound yeah, like there's yeah, more yeah, than yeah. one. Okay, um, but right. I had one as a child, so this is why I'm familiar with that uh, yeah, with yeah, that yeah. sound. Wow. But as an album, yeah, as I said, I just feel like I was a little let down by it. It stands out in the record racks because it's black with the yellow typeface at mm, the top mm. corner. But um, if you're expecting an album or hoping for an album of you know ten or twelve all lines up, then you would have been disappointed. And in fact, I remember being disappointed the first time I heard it because I wanted it to be a mm. dozen. All, all lines up. All lined um, ups? Mm, yeah. <laughs> all lines. What's the plural, what's the plural? of all lined up? <laughs> um, certainly once I got used to the idea that it was quite atmospheric and film soundtracky, then I really mm. liked it. But, yeah, I, I absolutely get what you're saying. Look, the reason I'm a little harsh on Care is that the next album, Jam Science, in August 1984, if we can move on to that... I think it's a perfect album. From front to back, there's not a song on it that is superfluous. I would almost go back and revise my top five post-punk albums and, and put this in there if I could. Maybe I could make it six. Yeah. Because wow. I, I just love this album. It's just incredible on headphones. The two singles, Hand in My Heart, which was a top 50 UK hit, Mercy Dash. It's still got that big Lindrum sound, but they describe it as warped disco. Mm. If there's a kind of music that I like... <laughs> the most it's going to be warp disco <laughs> because it's dark um, you've got a, a track like hubris at the end which is just as you guys were saying one of those beautiful melodic yeah. things I think suck hints at the next album what they're going to do there but uh, under the lights uh, my careful hands every song it's interesting and I know I'll, I'll stop talking in a minute but there were two <laughs> versions of this album released yeah. one by Y Records and one by Arista and the Arista album is the one that I have on yeah. vinyl that, that has the extra tracks. I think it's it's 10 tracks. Well, the, and there's not one track on it that yeah. shouldn't be there. The weird thing about the original release by Y Records, who they were contracted to, is that it was almost like a bootleg release mm. by the record company because... They were dumping them, I think, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're not versions of songs that were approved by the band. Mm. So that version of the album has sort of, I think, faded into the background a little bit. And I don't think I've ever heard that original the Y Records release. I don't think you're missing anything because it's got two tracks on it that aren't that great. Yeah, and it's yeah. missing tracks that are on the Arista version. This, this is the one. If you can seek it out on on uh, YouTube mm. listeners because it's impossible to find on streaming services. You can buy yeah, it from yeah, the yeah. band uh, in uh, download yeah. form, which well, we encourage you to do. Yeah. yeah, if you can find it, it, it's just got everything. The keyboards are beautiful. The bass is just huge and menacing and, and the uh, the Lindrum stuff and a bit of percussion from Martin Barker, who's, who's joined in now, adds to it. I think it's, it's a complete uh, Shriekback album for me. 
can I quote from their media release for this album? Absolutely. <laughs> they are never short of a word shriek back. <laughs> I think that's Barry, isn't it? <laughs> they, enjoy, <laughs> they enjoy delving into the philosophical um, foundations of their music. Mm. So, you know, the media release for the Jam Science album uh, included this. The artefact that is Jam Science was originally conceived as both a tighter harnessing of and a, an expansion from the forces that shaped care, with an end result bigger and brighter, less diverse perhaps, but more clear and physical. And I think that's a really good description mm, of the album. Perfect, so yeah. clear and physical and bigger and brighter. And to me, I think that's right. I kind of feel like the Lynn drum is a bit of a distraction to me, that there were quite a lot of albums that were starting to have that kind mm. of it's sound. It's the sound of the, the 80s mm. at that point, mm. yes. Yeah. And, and, and I do think it's a brilliantly conceived album from beginning to end, and I like the whole album, mm. but I don't love it as much as I would like to because, for instance, the songs like Midnight Maps and Aktung, they have almost an identical intro and it takes a little while for the more distinctive shriekback elements, the bass and the other peculiarities to come in. And so for a little while it's sounding a little bit like Human League and a lot of other bands. And I think I didn't hear Jam Science until maybe 12 months after it was released. So that sound was becoming absolutely ubiquitous. <laughs> It was probably me forcing you to listen to it because I bought everything that was released. Yeah, yeah, every yeah, single yeah, yeah. that I could get. Every yeah, no, absolutely. Remix. So it was probably yeah, my yeah. fault. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I heard Care at the time, but I think I, I just missed Jam Science somehow. But yeah, I mean, there are lots of songs that I really like. I mean, I do really like Midnight Maps, Mercy Dash, Hand on My Heart. That was really the hit that got away. That was the one that should have. Well, um, I think that's what they were trying them. to do there, you know. Yeah, you could yeah, see yeah. that's where they're, they're going. And yeah. well, it was a moderate hit, but it should have yeah. been a lot better. It should have been a top 10 or 20 hit mm. and thereby propelling the album into the top 10 or 20 and subsequent albums. So that was their chance, I think. Yeah, so, that was their idea, I think, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it, was, it, it, was, it was certainly worthy of being a hit. Um, Under the Lights, Hubris, I really like the album. It's just I maybe don't like it as much as Care. I bet you don't like Suck. I've grown to like it. That was the shouty one. The shouty yeah, one, yes. <laughs> but I do, in the end, like it. Ironically, I like it the longer it goes on. I think it's pretty much the longest <laughs> shriek back I'm not song. Even it's about touch six, this. six minutes. I like it the longer it goes on, son. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, getting back on track. Uh, yeah, I think, I, you know, <laughs> I don't want to say it's a grower. <laughs> But I think like the last minute. I wasn't minute into of, it when it started. The last and minute then, or two of it. It, yeah, starts, last, it starts to feel right. It starts yeah. developing your personality. <laughs> I used to listen to Sucker all the time, but then I got married and uh, <laughs> it just happened less and less. Less and less. Sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it. Mm. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't endorse any of the last two minutes of this podcast. <laughs> or any of the podcasts. <laughs> um, 
Hand on My Heart, I've written the I love this single. When I first heard it, it was just, um, I, I just knew that Shriek Backward had, had, had released a great album, you know, even just on the strength of hearing that one song. I think they played the single on Triple Z a lot at the time. Still with the drum machines, the slap bass, the female backing vocals, you know, had a chorus. Mm. Aktung, once again, the infectiousness of the repeated chant. Party Line, I really love, the right on the walls of dance part. Mercy Dash is probably my favourite song on the album. Yeah. Um, the answer vocals that come in very quickly after each line. Are you ready, ready for this? Anytime. Are you ready for a show of devotion? Are you ready, ready for this? Anytime. Are you ready for a show of devotion? It's simple and catchy. There's a wonderful chorus bass on Under the Lights. And it looks like they used a vocoder on that song mm. too. Mm. And yeah, and it finishes on Hubris, which sounds like the make of a car, <laughs> the Ford Hubris. Uh, but once again, it's a quieter, moody piece. And um, as I say, the quieter, moody yeah, pieces yeah. are nearly always the standout tracks on their albums. Yes, I loved Jam Science. It's my favourite. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely my favourite. So did either of you buy the actual albums when they came out? Yes. So you would have seen the liner notes, for Mm. instance, the the really specific liner notes, like descriptions of the the instruments that each people Can I just say, can I just say, I won't won't, uh, step on your toes here, but can I just say I got my albums out and tragically, because of my age, I had to take photos of those liner notes and zoom in on them. They are really small. I couldn't read them. They're tiny. Absolutely. But I do love the care that they took to, mm. to do so. So, for instance, on Aktung, there's uh, something called Smug JP8, <laughs> which is a type of synthesizer. On Party Line, there are Martini Chords. Mm. That's good. Who knows what Martini Chords are? And on New Home, there's Yob Vox. Building up a new home, building up a new home, building up a new home. <laughs> so Yob Vox, which is the, the kind of chanted sort of... Um, yeah, the oh, repeated I, line. Can I just say that uh, on one of those songs it had the word gank bass. Oh, yeah, yes, yes. And my friend, who now lives in Melbourne, he called his band gank after that Really? After that, that phrase. So that's the slapping part of the bass sound? Yeah. I think, I th- I think that's so, what yeah. Barry used to call Dave's bass style in Gang of Four because I read somewhere he said we were trying to get him away from that and into a little bit more dubby style playing, mm. which he was afraid of mm. but eventually embraced. I mean, I think Dave Allen's one of the great bass players, he can play mm. anything. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'd be happy for him to play anything any way he wants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, that's Jam Science. Yes. That's yeah. a wrap on Jam Science. We should start to talk about, I mean, Oil and Gold comes out the following year in 85, and, and all I would want to say about this is I, I think it's a really conscious decision to try to have a hit. I think they're getting kind of like, what have we got to do here? <laughs> We're writing great <laughs> stuff. What do you want from us? What do you want from us, yeah, people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it sounds like with a song like Nemesis, it's such an incredibly simple song. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like it's aimed at maybe MTV with the video. It's one of the few songs they made a video for. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's quite an epic yeah. video. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, it, it's a great video. I mean, it's not my favourite song on the album. I, I bought it, of course, because I would have bought anything they yeah. did. But um, it did get across to a lot of people. I, I remember people kind of getting yeah, into yeah, it. It yeah. seems to be one of their better-known songs. Yeah. So, hey, it's obviously worked. Yeah. 
on this album they decided to get Martin Barker in to play real drums. Uh, yeah. And they also added Lou Edmonds uh, to play some of that really amazing guitar on this album, who um, currently plays with Public Image, yeah, I didn't realise. But yeah. it started out playing with The Damned, I think, on their first or second album back yeah. in the 70s, late 70s. Um, Can I set the scene for this album in terms of why they left Y Records to join Arista? Arista. Um, I did find an interview that Carl Marsh did with the Huddersfield Examiner. <laughs> Um, about this. You're a subscriber, aren't you? <laughs> yes. Don't miss an edition. And he told the Huddersfield Examiner, internally the essence of the band had outgrown the minimal consumption of time and technology. Imagine buying the Huddersfield Examiner. Mm. <laughs> hey, oop, what's Carl Marsh up to? <laughs> so yeah, internally the essence of the band had outgrown the minimal consumption of time and technology that had previously supported it in the studio. Externally, why records could no longer support us. In short, we'd outgrown the framework we had built within which to function. And then you turn the page to the sports section. <laughs> to the whippet racing. <laughs> this album I remember loving at the time, Graham and I were living in Sydney. Yeah. Uh, we moved to Sydney and the first place we, we lived together, uh, Oil and Gold got a, a high thrashing. Rotation. High rotation, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And once again, I bought everything that came out with this, every single, every remix. Uh, the two singles, Fish Below the Ice being the, the second one. Sometimes we shine a light sometimes. I've just got notes on here saying it's busier, it's bigger. It's a conscious attempt to me to try to get over in America possibly and have mm. success. Though you throw in a song like Hammerheads, which is possibly the silliest song ever recorded. <laughs> with And a bit shouty. It's a bit strange. <laughs> That's the shouty Apparently one. the Hammerheads are bold and resolute while simultaneously being big and clever. Um, it's great. It's them doing their thing, but it's, it's kind of, it's a bit out there. You probably knew this as well, you guys, that Claire Torrey, who uh, was the backing vocalist on a lot of this album, is most famous for doing the uh, the vocal at the end of Pink Floyd's Great Gig in the Sky. High vocal, which she ended up getting a writing credit on after many years. She was initially yeah, paid yeah. £30 pounds for her vocals. <laughs> yeah. and, and the powers that be at Pink Floyd thought that was fair enough. Eventually yeah. she did get a, a, a co-writing credit. But the vocals, her backing vocals, Graham, you're a, a bit of a singing nut on this album. Like It's super high and mm. super charged, fantastic vocals, and it makes sense that it was her. She sang on uh, Fish Below the Ice, Malaria, Nemesis, Only Thing That Shines, This Big Hush. I think on most of it anyway. Mm. Um, I could say a bit more about it, but I'll, I'll pass over to you guys. For the first time, Shriek Back are sounding like a bunch of people in a room playing songs. Mm. And yes, yes, it's not so linear anymore. Mm. And yeah. So that, that's one of my favourite things about Shriek Back, which is that each of the three albums sounds really different to... to but, but connected. To the others, yeah, absolutely. And it's a bit more conventional maybe, but there are so many good songs on it. Malaria, Nemesis, Fish Below the Ice, uh, this big, big harsh faded flowers, that's most of side one. Only the anacrosis, the main event remains. Shameful and naked out there in the great cold outdoors. We have to learn these things again. And I really like it 
is what I would say. By 1985, music was beginning to be a bit horrible. Mm. It, it was getting into that, you know, patented drum machine, um, gated reverby sort of thing, and every, every band was sounding exactly the same. And I remember coming to Sydney to see you guys and hearing this album for, for the first time. And it was one of the few shards of light in a vast, overwhelming, devastating spectrum of the bleakest of onyx. <laughs> and that was just staying with us. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah what was the music like? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't really add much to what's already been said. I really like malaria. That's not a sense you hear very often. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's my favourite disease. <laughs> I took a few shots before I listened to it. Um <laughs> I've written down here an almost shrill backing singer, so that was Mm -hmm. what you were just referring to. Oddly, um, he sings I Know Corita in Everything That Rises Must Converge. Oh. Apparently, uh, it's Spanish. And it means don't run away. That's the Chaz Jankles It's the song. Chaz Jankles song. Yeah, <laughs> That's right. right. The, uh, the so bass player from the injury and the blockhead. Yes. Wow, very good. So one, I, one I, don't know, <laughs> I don't know whether this was a common phrase at the time, but uh, but yeah, he threw that in there. I love Fish Below the Ice. It brings us back to that repetitive chant thing. Mm. The Big Hush. I thought you guys uh, might have mentioned this. Uh, I was this- going to, but I don't think I will now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to get in first. Get in. It was in the soundtrack to the movie Manhunter, mm. and I was hoping you guys could remember the director because I can't. Michael Mann. Michael Mann, But yes. more importantly, he did a couple of episodes of Miami Vice where he mm, used, yeah. uh, he used he, that he track was, as well. He was a big fan of Shriekback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He used um, Faded Flowers and This Big Hush in uh, subsequent episodes. And if you ever get a chance to YouTube that, it's pretty funny watching yeah, yeah, the two guys in Miami Vice. What on earth is Shriek back to <laughs> It kind of works. It kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Graham, um, do you like the last song? Uh, do you want me to say it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is, what's the last song, uh, right? <laughs> Well, uh, saying it kind of phonetically, it's Coelacanth, but I did search it and it's actually coelacanth mm. oh, I always used to say coelacanth there you go I looked it up today when yeah. you were when you were <laughs> saying I don't I'm not sure about how we're going to pronounce this so yeah I thought it was closer to coelacanth but yeah coelacanth coelacanth and it's yeah. what prehistoric fish yeah they're big on fish Parthenogenesis, for instance. Yes, I was just going to mention that then. Um, Nemesis is probably the only time the word parthenogenesis has appeared yeah, in the song. Which is spontaneous development. I mean, you, I mean, we all know this anyway, but mm. spontaneous development of an embryo from an unfertilised egg cell as practised by the Prussian carp, um, among other... <laughs> Wouldn't it have other... just been easier to say Genesis? I mean, if you're looking for words that rhyme with nemesis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about making a rod for your own back. That's a fishing reference. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she could have just said, that guy's in Genesis. <laughs> the guy in Genesis. <laughs> that would have worked. But if you guys are looking to add to your uh, Prussian carp general knowledge. Yes. You know, Always, path, path Genesis is, you know... Is, is is crucial. I mean, there's there's no Prussian carp without the parthenogenesis. <laughs> and if there's no Prussian carp, there's nothing. <laughs> so how do we feel about this album? Because I wouldn't mind talking about, I know this comes out in 85, but but as an album, this is our jumping off point, if you like, mm. Um, mm. the way to finish on Shriekback. Mm. What do you think? 
I think it's, it was a great way to uh, end not just this period, but <laughs> the new wave period in general, because yeah. Once Upon a Time by Simple Minds came out after that, and it was all over. I think that's what Patrick was referring to earlier. <laughs> yeah. The mid-80s was actually the end of the 80s, <laughs> yeah. in, in all senses. There was only hip-hop to come. Well, yeah. that's true. There were things ahead to come. The album is really tight. Like, I was listening to the drums and bass today, and, I mean, God, Dave Allen's a fantastic bass player, mm. but the drums and, and, and him mm. are just locked in, and they're not playing simple things. They're playing really quite intricate yeah, yeah, things. Yeah. There's a lot of percussion going on. The guitar is just like Adrian Ballou style mm. over the top, you know, and and this was what I was wanted to talk about, seeing them uh, subsequently. We have since found out was a couple of years after this in Australia. Was it the was. first yes. tour? Is yes. that right? So, so we all saw Shriek back in 1980, early 87. Early 87. Yeah, which was the first time they'd come here, correct? Mm. Yep. Mm. They did support In Excess at some point. Is that the tour we're saying? Yeah, that during one? that tour, I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah. I reckon I saw them at least three times, possibly more. I, w- I just went wherever I could see them, but they played a lot of oil and gold. I'm They were here for um, a big night music, did you say? Yep. The, the, the fourth album. But uh, they played heaps of this anyway. And mm. uh, you saw them, Patrick, in Melbourne? Yeah, I, I saw them at the club in Melbourne and I was right up the front and the bloke next to me, Barry had his big kind of jewellery thing, like necklaces, like really big long necklaces, like a whole bunch of them. And, yeah, the bloke next to me reached out and grabbed, <laughs> grabbed him and started yanking him by the neck off stage. Punk rock. <laughs> And his girlfriend was absolutely mortified. He was thrown out of the venue, <laughs> as in the grabber. Mm. The and, protagonist. Uh, yes, the protagonist, yeah. And it was like, wow, that was quite a show. Yeah. So <laughs> How did Barry react to that? He was annoyed. A bit. He was annoyed. And I don't know whether they did that at every gig, but it was... It was <laughs> you think it was, it was a setup? I thought it was excellent. Wow. So <laughs> but did you enjoy the gig? The gig was great. I mean, yep. they... They had become quite a big band by that Very stage. Very tight, like, though, with what, it. Uh, yeah, mm, but there mm. were maybe six or seven. They had, like, extra percussion. And, Backing vocals. And, yep. and, and all that. So it was lacking some of the kind of intimacy, let's say, of Tench and Care in, in particular. Mm. Um, it was getting closer to the we want to have a hit, as you were saying, about mm. Nemesis and so on. But I thought it was a great gig. Yep. Mm. And you guys? Graham? Well, as you say, it was March 87. We saw them at the Tivoli here in Sydney and the Tivoli venue uh, was torn down to build World Square, which we are now sitting in. Oh, so pretty much right here. <laughs> it was pretty much right here. Wow. Actually, I think it might have been a little bit further I don't up. know how I feel about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a bit weird. Mixed well, blessing. Yeah. A couple of things I remember about the gig. At some point, Barry Andrews said, and he said this to the audience almost apologetically, he said, I'm afraid Shriekback will always be a reptilian band. (laughs) 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 Which I loved. And also, I remember they did a very Shriekback version of Le Freak by Sheik. Oh, okay. They also had two female singers whose last name was Partridge. And I thought, because of his XTC connection, I wonder if they were a relation. But... um, when we did our XDC podcast, you'll recall that Andy was an only child. So it, then again, it could be mm, cousins. Could be his wife. <laughs> yeah. Wife and friend. Yeah, exactly. I think we saw them at Selena's as well. Yeah, well, that's the, the, the next thing I was going to say is that we enjoyed the show so much. They were playing Selena's the following night and we we went and saw them there. Mm, yeah. And I, I think it's fair to say that, well, for Graham and I, we wanted to be in a band like Shriek. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At that point, it was just like, wow. And we asked and they wouldn't have us. They so. didn't want mm. to know. They already had eight people. <laughs> How many backing vocalists does one band need? Does one band need, But the sound was just massive. Yeah, like you said, Patrick, it it lacked a bit of the subtlety, but that was where they were at. Every album was was kind of different, and this was 
uh, Shriekback 2.0, the, the big version, mm-hmm. with that guitar over the top. Never really featured guitar previously, but the bass was was front and center. It was massive. I mean, it just hit you in the face every time. It was fantastic. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't say that I lost interest in them after this because the next album was great as well, but they had gone their way and mm-hmm. I had gone mine. It was certainly more mainstream, and I love some of the songs, Underwater Boys and so on, on Big Night Music, but. They were doing something a little bit different, mm. a little mm. bit more obvious maybe. Yeah. Does that bring us to the end of our Shriekback story, mm. unless you've got anything else? I was just going to say overall that out of all the bands we've featured in the years we've been doing the podcast, Shriekback to me feel like the most criminally neglected, <laughs> the one where you think how did they not have at least some modest chart success in their homeland? They had some absolutely extraordinarily catchy songs and they're they're not even really talked about as a major kind of influence you know in mm. the same way as wire and gang of four and those those kinds the of bands they came from yeah, yeah yeah who equally didn't have much chart success they were unique and brilliant and just absolutely extraordinary and one little point which i know annoyed carl marsh which is quite pointed that simon reynolds rip it up rip it up and say it again that we talk about a lot um in the book, apparently there isn't a single reference to Shriekback. There's not. Or Barry Andrews. I, I looked. Yeah. And mm. Carl said about that book, he said, there's not one single mention of Shriekback, not even as a footnote, not even after the magnificent gang of four, Dave Allen formed the disappointing Shriekback. <laughs> <laughs> so does feel like this is one of the reasons that I'm really pleased we're talking about Shriekback, that they deserve a much greater reputation than they've got, and I would encourage everyone to listen to them more. Hmm. I just want to end, I can't really add to what Patrick said there, but I would encourage any of our listeners that have any interest in what we think to go and explore Shriekback if they haven't already, because from Tench to Care to Jam Science to Oil and Gold, they're all fantastic in their own way. They're all quite different. You might like one, you might not like the other, Hmm. but... It's well worth your investigation and it's fair to say no one did what they did and no one has subsequently done what they did, so please go and check them out.